Welcome back, or if this is your first time, a big welcome. I'm Matthew Grant, partner at Instec and your host for the Instec podcast. Now, I came across some fascinating research this week. Apparently, if you hear something through headphones, you are more likely to be persuaded and empathetic than if you are listening on speakers, almost twice as much, in fact. It seems that as you're listening, you develop what is known as parasocial intimacy. Well, there you go. If you want to get closer to Robin, myself, and our guests on the Instagram podcast, switch off those speakers and plug us into your ears. Well, enough about us. Today's guest is Stephen DeThorpe. Stephen is head of insurance for ISI, and we've been following ISI closely for the last few years. We had Charles Blanchet back on podcast 128, and as you'll hear in a minute, caught up with CEO and founder Raphael on stage last year. Now the company is moving fast, not just literally with its satellites whizzing around the world, but also growing its offering to insurers, moving from flood to other natural perils, increasing its ability to acquire information with more satellites in space, and work with more major companies and partners. Stephen himself is no stranger to insurance and technology and brings his own personal perspective to our discussion. We are delighted to have ISI as one of the many Instec members. And if you are listening and wondering how we're able to help both technology companies around the world and insurers collaborate around innovation and understand the world around them, then please do contact me directly, matthew at instec.co, and I'll introduce you to our team and what we're doing. Okay, here's Stephen. Stephen, I'm really fascinated by catching up with you Today, uh, we know ISI very well at INSTEC. Um, over the last couple of years, we've had the pleasure of talking to a number of your colleagues. We're going to hear a bit more about that specifically in a minute. I don't use the word unique very often, but I think you truly are unique because you've built your own satellites, you put those up into the sky, and then you're providing detailed information to insurers about flood. And uh, I know you're going to be looking at some other perils as well. You were founded in 2012. I believe you've got funds of $304 million dollars that were invested in the company and yourself are global head of insurance who uh, we're going to hear a little bit about i've got a deep history in working with insurance companies stephen welcome thanks very much matthew it's great to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you today i know you've been working with technology supporting brokers and others with applications to support their businesses but what is it about your own background that's sort of led you to getting interested in uh, working with isai Sure. Thanks, Matthew. I've spent uh, the last 30 years or so in and around the insurance industry, uh, first as a consultant at Accenture, as a partner there in the insurance practice in London, uh, and then as MD, CEO of an insurer and broker software house. I'm really passionate about the industry, hugely positive role that it plays uh, in enabling individuals, families to live their lives, businesses to innovate and grow. Uh, and, you know, after all those years working in the guts of admin and claims systems with underwriting distribution and claims processes, it, it was, you know, time to try something different, but one related very much to our industry. And it's been a real eye opener for me to move to a completely different technology sector, um, you know, space technology, uh, and to um, help work on what it can bring. Uh, to offer our insurance industry. And, um, you know, what it can offer is, in my view, genuinely transformational. As I mentioned, we've had the pleasure of getting to know a number of your colleagues. We did an earlier podcast um, and also we managed to slip in an event in November on stage. And we had Raphael, your CEO there, and he talked to us a little bit about what it is that's started the company and what you're doing. So I just still think that's very useful to hear that. So let's just hear a bit about what Raphael said. The satellite obviously is a, is a mean to, to something, right? We, we consider it a, a piece of a tool or, or infrastructure. Now, 
the key is what it enables. And it, it enables gathering the type of information that it was completely impossible before. So imagine that we currently own a constellation of 14 of those satellites. If you were to pick a place right now, we would be able to be there within two hours, three hours, take an image, regardless whether that place is dark, whether it's night or day, whether it's it's rainy or cloudy or whatever weather conditions are over there, we can pierce through the darkness and we can pierce through the weather condition and we will actually be able to tell you within a few hours from your request what's going on on the ground. Once we gather that data, we can then convert it into intelligence. And if it's flooding out there, we actually will be able to tell you what is the water extent and what is the water depth. And now, because we can be there so fast, that's the new real-time bit, we can provide you that information almost immediately after the event is taking place. So a lot to pick up on there. You build your own satellites. In fact, we for that event, we didn't quite get a real satellite on, on stage, but we managed to get a, a life-size mock-up hanging above the audience, which gave us all a sense about you know what these things really mean in practice and, and how that works. And also, we've recently been going a little bit deeper into this whole area of remote claims assessment, and satellite is clearly a big part of that. And in fact, you know, what you are doing with your... Uh, SAR or uh, synthetic aperture radar satellites is, is a pretty key development in terms of satellite imagery. Can you just talk a little bit about you know, what's happening from the technology side with the satellites and what you're doing at ISI with those? Absolutely. I mean, the, the uh, innovation based on, as you call it, synthetic aperture radar SAR is absolutely at the core of what we do. And I, you know, I was in the seal yard uh, that evening with the the model of the satellite above us. Um, and actually, the size of that satellite is a key part of um, ISI's capability. Um, synthetic aperture radar itself has been uh, around for a long time, and it's always, you know, decades. And it's always had um, some key advantages of being able to see through clouds, through smoke, uh, can see in the dark, see through dust, and pro provide pretty precise uh, measurement. Um, but... Uh, it's been expensive uh, to get hold of for the industry. Um, you know, it's typically only been available from large, really expensive multi-use satellites. And it's the miniaturization that Rafael and Pekka and the other founders of ISI managed to achieve, uh, you know, back in the early uh, years of the business that's made the real difference because our satellites are, you know, much smaller uh, rather than being the size of a house. Uh, they're the size of a fridge. Um, and they weigh, you know, as much as a, you know, uh, a, a sort of a human being, a, a mature adult male human being. So they're not, they're very much smaller. And it, the, the sort of scale uh, and weight is important because, um, frankly, they're, you know, less expensive to build, substantially less expensive to launch. Uh, and those two factors together have enabled iSight to get to the point that we have created the world's largest SAR constellation. And that means that rather than capturing, you know, one or two images from time to time on demand, um, our constellation is able to see anywhere on Earth and we can see it multiple times a day. Now, we've got to choose what we do with that capability, you know, by industry, by use case. But um, with that constellation, we can achieve a unique level of completeness, frequency and accuracy of observation, uh, which is great for catastrophe hazards and damage. It's also really good for measuring minute movements in assets on the Earth's surface or indeed of the Earth's surface itself. Stephen, I just want to jump in there because 
last time I was talking to your colleagues, you had nine satellites. Uh, and when you talk about constellation, I'm kind of that's a collective term for a group of satellites, I'm guessing. I, I know things have developed since then, and that's given you some advantages by having more satellites up in space. It'd be just good to get the latest satellite count and understand a little bit about what advantages that gives you as you have more satellites spinning around in space. The constellation is just the number of satellites we have buzzing around the planet. Um, it was indeed nine when um, Rafael uh, visited and she spoke to him back in uh, November, I think it was. Uh, we're now at 21. We've had a series of launches with SpaceX. The last one was five uh, additional satellites back in May. Um, and it really it really does make a huge difference. I mean, I think we believe that when we got to 12 satellites, we were at a position where a tipping point where we had enough capacity to do exactly what we wanted to do with, for, ex for instance, flood. So, you know, with a flood, we want to be able to capture imagery before, during and after the event. Uh, multiple times, multiple images a day. And, you know, that is what we are capable of doing uh, now with the constellation we've got in place. Um, so the technology on those satellites, the latest generations, again, is, is advanced versus the earlier generations. But it's really that scale of satellite that gives us the uh, that persistent ability to come over the same spot multiple times and capture a series of images that enables analysis of change. Yeah, that term persistent or persistent monitoring, I know, is becoming more widely used or sort of setting the standards what you can do with satellites. But we should just get back to the basics now. What what problems do insurers have that you're looking to solve with the satellites and, the, and obviously the data that comes off them? Most of the work that we're doing at the moment is is around catastrophes. Um, and, um, you know, the most mature of our products is around flood, particularly. Um, you know, we monitor uh, catastrophe events. We analyse the change in, you know, for flood, the hazard, the water, uh, or the damage caused. So for wildfire, which we're doing advanced field testing on now, then it's about, you know, buildings that have been destroyed uh, or, you know, um, trees, other agriculture that's been destroyed. Our business there with catastrophes is to deliver really rapid insights into events as they develop uh, and to enable our customers to take uh, very different action uh, than they might have been able to in the past. When you say the problem we're solving for insurers today, we are we are absolutely not trying to solve the problem of just providing SAR imagery to them faster than has been possible in the past. You know, our our capability, if we take flood as the example, is about delivering insights and solutions. So we capture that data um, using our satellites. We combine that with digital terrain models, uh, you know, flood data from, sorry, from flood gauges, um, river gauges, social media imagery that we geolocate. We bring all of that together. We apply our own proprietary um, machine learning tools to drive the an analytics really, really fast so that we're able to provide what we call near real time understanding of an event as it develops. And we provide that as the extent and depth of water in the individual pixels uh, that we are analysing across, you know, hundreds or thousands of square kilometres of area. So the problem we're trying to solve is enabling insurers to do stuff differently related to um, catastrophes, particularly flood at the moment, um, across the value chain. So claims and event responses is an obvious and immediate uh, use case for us, but we're also uh, supporting a load of other aspects of uh, the insurance value chain uh, related to flood. And 
You mentioned social media in there. Just remind me if I don't come back and ask you that because I'm really intrigued about what you're doing with people's photographs. But one of the characteristics of what you're doing with the the synthetic aperture radar, maybe you can start calling it SAR, <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> less of a mouthful. Um, that's very different than the traditional satellites that had optical imagery, isn't it? So if you, if, you, if you were to take the data from SAR, you just get a bunch of data. And that's what you're talking about in terms of the analytics you're doing. And I'm glad you said machine learning rather than just slipping into AI. But you know, part of your value, not just you have the satellites out there, but you're actually creating intelligent information from the data. And as you said, rolling it into other information that you get from other sources. We definitely don't just provide the SAR data. In fact, we we won't provide SAR data to customers related to flood now because um, we just think that they'd be wasting their time uh, trying to do the analysis. We built that capability. Steve, before we go on a bit further, I just wanted to come back to that point about the social media and using photographs. People have been trying to do that, in my experience, for at least 15 years and things like taking images off Twitter and every other social media platform that's out there. So can you just talk a little bit about that? It sounds like that's what you're doing is you're using that to complement or enhance what you're doing from the the satellites by using sort of crowdsourced imagery as well. Yeah, it's just one of the sources of data that we use. I mean, we've got people on the payroll who we call data scouts, whose job it is to continually be looking for the next best data that we can bring into our multi-source data analysis. So we consider the SAR imagery for flood to be very much the cornerstone uh, or the keystone, if you like, of what we do. And we assemble all of the rest of the data. So for the social media stuff in particular is really helpful, particularly in urban areas where, um, you know, one of the disadvantages of SAR and, and taking imagery from a satellite is you get shadow between buildings. So what we are, what we are, doing when we're running our analysis is combining what we can see from space, which is typically the vast majority of the area of the flood, with where we can't see um, using other data like from river gauges or from social media um, photography, where we can look at the image, we can geolocate the image. We have a partner who does that for us, so that's not our, our technology, but geolocate it and say we can observe that the water in that area looks um, you know, very clearly at a level that is supported by our assessment of the water in areas around it coming from the SAR imagery or the river gauges and put all of those together and then think about the physics of how water behaves and basically understand what the level of the water is likely to be across uh, the overall flood event. So, it's, you know, the, the social media thing is, is very helpful because it provides you know, one of a whole series of points, but it is really only one part of the overall um, patchwork of data that we bring in and, and analyse to deliver the uh, to deliver the overall assessment of extent and depth. Yeah, I mean, it's good ground truthing, isn't it? And then I know the other area that's evolved over the last few months is the resolution, I guess, both vertical and horizontal resolution of, or the accuracy with which you can determine flood breadth and flood height. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what confidence do you have now in, in those sure. critical factors? Our satellites are what we call multimodal. So they we can kind of effectively zoom in or zoom out. Uh, and we have uh, the opportunity to make a choice regarding the um, area that we, uh, that we image and uh, at the same time, the resolution that we achieve. So, you know, at the, the zoom out level, where, for instance, we're looking at a an oil spill, or we're looking for a missing ship, or we're looking for you know illegal fishing. We can zoom out and look at you know tens where 
10,000 square kilometers um, with relatively low resolution, but enough to see um, a fishing boat. For flood, we tend to use what we call strip mode, which is where we take a 30 kilometer by 50 kilometer uh, image. Uh, we take multiple of those over the event. And there we have a, a three meter um, square resolution in terms of the pixel size. Uh, and when we do our analysis, we come down to a plus or minus 30 centimeter level of accuracy across um, the whole of what is typically a thousands of kilometer area. Now that 30 centimeters, we can often tell whether we're overestimating or underestimating, uh, and we could we get a much more accurate um, uh, level of vertical resolution where we have a decent digital terrain model on which we're measuring the water. Um, but, you know, the, the level of accuracy we get there over a huge area is enough to enable a lot of really interesting and exciting use cases for insurers. Well, it's going to pause here for a moment because there's quite a lot going on. So I want to review what Stephen said. Basically, eye-sized satellites can capture data at a whole range of resolutions. You can zoom right out to see something like an oil spill over thousands of square meters or zoom in and perform analysis to get around 30 centimeters of horizontal resolution. But as Stephen is about to explain, they have ways of getting a lot more detail even than that. We do have another mode, which is the really fine, what we call spot mode, where we're capable of taking actually a series of images from one satellite pass and putting them all together and using them to bring together one measurement in a one meter by one meter pixel on an area of 15 kilometers by 15 kilometers. And when we do that, each pixel each meter by meter or 25 centimeter by 25 centimeter, where we get really precise, we can see centimeters or millimeters of change. So that we wouldn't use that for flood because we couldn't capture enough of the area. But if we want to see subsidence around a mine or subsidence around the sides or base of a dam, or we want to see movement in a railway bridge, or thermal expansion, as we've been testing recently, of a tower block, then we get to millimetres uh, level of vertical um, resolution. So, you know, the technology has really moved on. And I think the key message there is just that the, the ability um, to measure fine detail, there's a trade-off. We can do big picture stuff with lower resolution or very precise uh, measurement with uh, high resolution where we know what we're measuring. And that's typically where, you know, more for persistent measurement of an asset than it is trying to get a hold of what's happened on a major large scale event in a event that develops over a few days. One of the things that struck me in the way you do your reports, which I, I would be critical sometimes people doing this, but in your case, I believe you've got the facts to do it, which is when you report on buildings that have been flooded from events, you actually go down to the individual buildings number. And I think you know, often there's a risk of people using spurious accuracy because they do their calculations and they end up with you know, numbers that aren't really true in, in real life. But I, the way you've described what you're doing just now, for anybody thinking that, you can see how you actually can identify the exact number of buildings that were were flooded, um, which is, of course, is really helpful for an insurance point of view. But Stephen, just to bring this to life, it would be good to know what happened in one of the recent events about how does iSight deploy satellites, and you mentioned before about in advance of a flood happening, but can you just talk us through how that would work in practice? 
If we take the the recent very extreme flooding in Australia earlier this year, sort of end of February, beginning of March, I mean, it's, it's important to say we actually start our work analysing floods before the events happen. So we have an in-house team of meteorologists uh, and they meet, you know, three times a day. Uh, their job is to monitor weather conditions and forecasts around the planet. We built our own flood prediction system, you know, an actual application that combines data from a range of sources. Uh, those guys get together in their flood all three times a day, as I say, and they look at what our forecast is, not of weather, but of flood, based on all of the inputs that we gather. Um, where we see there to be potential for an event to develop, uh, that's when we task the satellite constellation to capture imagery of the areas that we predict are likely to be affected so that we can get, capture as much imagery as possible as time series before, during and after the flood water meets its peak. Or in the case of the Australian flooding, um, actually it peaks uh, because the flood you know, developed over five or six days, um, started in the, more, in the north, moved south. Um, we, we issue a, a daily report to our subscribing customers saying here are where we think flood is likely to happen, uh, which events are severe enough for us to um, activate, as we call it, and capture imagery. So, you know, we're not talking about one or two stills showing, you know, what, what the position looked like as close to peak as somebody might be able to capture data. What we're talking about is before, during and after multiple images across pretty much the whole extent of the event. Uh, we combined that then um, when we got to enough imagery with the other data sources that I've mentioned. Uh, we brought all of that together, um, you know, 200 river gauges, 300 open source data points, um, slapped that into the um, machine learning enabled process uh, and out pops 24 hours after our uh, analysis has started in earnest, the first of our full flood reports. And that is us delivering to our customers our understanding of the complete extent of the water and the depth of the water pixel by pixel. Hi, Rebecca here, the Director of Research and Insight at Instech. On the 12th of July, we'll be releasing our latest report, Marketplaces and Exchanges, 10 Ways They Are Reshaping Insurance. The report will launch with a live chat on the 12th of July, hosted by Robin. He'll be joined by Ian Meadows, MD, Climate at Incubex, Richard Phipps, Senior Project and Delivery Lead at Swissery, and Eleanor Stevens, Associate Director, Xtrade. They'll be examining key future trends, including whether e-trading platforms go beyond what already exists, and do they provide new propositions that solve particular market issues. Full details of how to sign up to the event and receive the report is available on our website, www.instech.co. So standard service, three meter by three meter square pixels, and the depth plus or minus 30 centimeters in each of those pixels across the whole of, you know, a X thousand kilometer square event. Uh, we, do we do deliver a sort of an eight hour initial sneak peek of which areas at neighborhood level we believe are going to be impacted so that our customers can be proactive um, in contacting customers potentially. But that 24 hour after analysis point is is where we deliver the whole caboodle. Um, and we then, you know, where an event moves over time, we then every 24 hours update it and say, 
It reached peak over here at a particular time. It then moved and a further peak was reached somewhere else at a later time. And we kind of, we're always referring to the maximum depth and maximum extent of the water. But as that develops, we're able to describe to customers, you know, how more and more properties have been affected uh, over time. So, you know, to your point, uh, Matthew, about mentioning actual numbers of properties affected. What What's really defining about our capability is we are not modelling, we are reporting. You know, we are measuring and we are, you know, combining our understanding of the depth of water in pixels to geolocation of the buildings and saying this is how deep the water was around that building. You've got to then make some judgment around how much damage there will have been to a building as a result of that water. So I'm the uh, lonely insurance analyst, and these things always happen over the weekend. So sitting there on a Saturday afternoon with uh, the senior management breathing down their neck, asking them what their first estimate of the loss is going to be, what are they actually getting from ISI, and what are they doing with that data to come up with that estimate of yeah, initial exposure? And then you know, at some point, as you said, you've got to figure out what the loss is going to be. But I'm just wondering, you know, for the point of view of a very practical application, how do they get the data and actually use it in their system? Sure. Uh, they, they, we actually got a call from one leading underwriter during the event in um, in Queensland, um, and they they you know we delivered the data to them within twenty four hours, and they were looking at that through their existing um, geospatial analysis tool and and considering what they thought the impact had been on their properties. I mean, you know, it, it, the the rawest version of our service is that we drop our extent, depth, and some other sort of metadata into, um, you know, an Amazon bucket and, and customers upload that into their geospatial tool. Um, if they are existing users of, you know, for instance, Esri or QGIS or Arturo or EigenRisk, and you've got people who are used to modeling um, the impact uh, of events or analyzing uh, geospatially uh, your portfolio, then they they know exactly what to do with the data that we give them. But we do want to go further than that. Hi there, Katie here from The Risky Mix, the podcast on a mission to make the insurance industry a more inclusive place to work. We're currently running a new mini-series called The Parenthood Diaries, which will take a look at how employers can better support their working parents. We'll be chatting about fertility and IVF treatment, the surrogacy journey, returning to work after parental leave, juggling work and parenting as a single parent, normalizing fatherhood in the workplace, the teenage years, and much, much more. You can find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And of course, on our website at riskymix.uk. You can also follow along on LinkedIn and Twitter and join the parenthood debate. We look forward to seeing you there. We're launching later this week a new um, partnership with um, EigenRisk where we are actually providing our customers with the opportunity to license what we call our EyeSight Insights platform. And what they do there is subscribe to a geospatial platform that is based on EigenPRISM's um, software. And, you know, they automatically just visualize our data on a map. Um, they don't have to do anything. They just sign on and they see the flood. Uh, and that has an API that uploads their property details straight into um, Eigen, uh, Eigen Prison Software, ISI Insults Platform. And um, so they don't, so to your point about what do they get, what do they have to do in that world, they just log on and they can see their properties and the flood level 
around them. And because that software comes with capabilities around um, sizing um, losses, uh, that's a, an algorithm that they have, uh, our partner has, uh, they have access to. So you'd be able to click on a property, you know, apply either the generic or your own tuned damage and uh, claims cost calculation curve and come up with a number. And then you can aggregate that to the, num the amount of damage and cost across your portfolio. So that's not our algorithm, <laughs> that's EigenRisks, but it does mean that within 24 hours of an event, you log on, you see the flood water, and if you set them up in advance or you're happy with the default models, you can get to financial sizing of the loss. This part of that theme we're seeing across you know, almost every data provider, which is going direct to the client, but also looking to work with partners that can help them deliver that and actually give the final user a bit more of an integrated experience. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about partners in a minute, but just with regards to clients, I know you had, uh, over, I think last year, you had a couple of large Japanese insurers as clients. You mentioned Australia. Are there any particular companies you can name? And it's also be helpful just to know, you know the range between insurers, reinsurers, mm. brokers, and, and anybody else you work with. You mentioned Japan. Tokyo Marine is a um, yeah, a hugely important customer for us um, that we've collaborated with, you know, in real uh, real detail, uh, looking at, you know, from 2020, our analysis of events in Japan versus their ground truth and their claims experience. And that's a very mature relationship now, particularly for, um, you know, for Japan as a geography and, and claims processes. They're also an investor in ISI. Um, took part in the Series D um, back in February. Um, changing sector, we work uh, with Descartes um, in Parametric, also with AXA Climate. Um, very proud of a recent arrangement um, with the Insurance Development uh, Foundation, um, a new parametric arrangement for Ghana, um, which was put together by Swiss Re and Allianz with ISI providing the trigger there. So, you know, the parametric sector, Red Hot, as I know your analysis uh, has confirmed, and um, ISI obviously has got a, you know, perfect, independent, um, accurate, hugely timely uh, trigger for that kind of product. Um, very proud to be working with Swiss Re across a number of products and services with in the broking sector, Aon, particularly down in Japan, where we've been working, um, combining our flood hazard data with their uh, buildings uh, data uh, to provide some particular solutions. Uh, Firmat in the insurance link securities um, side of the industry. We're picking up a lot of interest in the US, particularly as the private flood uh, sector is is increasing in scale because of course there are plenty of floods uh, and um, we've got a really strong basis on which people can enter that sector and, and do a really good job of understanding what's likely to happen where they use our historical analysis of some of the big events and also to support their um, their claims in particular. No, well, congratulations! You've got some very highly regarded and technical companies in there. Uh, you just mentioned Axa Climate in there and. We interviewed uh, Mia Vules recently, along with CoreLogic, about what they're doing with Hailstorm. And I, I, having heard another one of your podcast discussions, are very interesting about what you can do with Hailstorm. We uh, discovered that the sort of Hailstones that Axa Climate is measuring were about the size of a golf ball. Uh, is that something you can now pick up with your satellites in terms of damage? We can see damage and distortion, I think, um, of different types with different levels of accuracy. 
Across the perils, we're working very actively on R&D in, in you know, Firestorm particularly, and that's where we've got advanced field testing going on with customers in uh, the US and in Australia. And I think we are very excited about that one, likely to be our next CAT product that we get to the same maturity as Flood um, because it is really easy <laughs> for us to spot uh, buildings that have been destroyed and the, the kind of burn area, the burn scar and, and the, the perimeter of the fire. Um, wind is um, where we are observing the damage to uh, roofs uh, and to other aspects of structure is another good one. We are in our second year of uh, of extensive R&D waiting for the next major wind event in Japan. Um, we're also um, looking to monitor some specific locations in Japan, or are monitoring, in fact, um, waiting for an earthquake, a bit harder to predict. Um, and the reason we're monitoring for it is we want to see what we can observe if we've got images, you know, the day before, as well as images immediately afterwards. Um, uh, and we're monitoring volcanoes uh, as well and have shown that we can measure movement ahead of an eruption as well as um, lava flows after an eruption. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of emphasising all the other perils because hail <laughs> is is something that we we can uh, we've had some um, success with, but it, we're just not prioritising that one right now because it is a less strong use case for um, the satellite imagery aspect of how we put our analysis together. Um, so maybe don't expect that one later this year. So I just want to come back to the partners you're working with. And, and if there's anybody else you should mention, you, you rattled off a few earlier on, but uh, it's always helpful because you know, people know uh, and work with a whole range of organizations. Any, any you missed off from your list before of people you're doing things with? We've got a, a active work going on on a partner program of about 50 organizations. I think the ones that we're most mature with currently are the um, geospatial platform providers that can enable customers to interpret and make rapid use of our um, flood insights. I think, you know, we are working uh, with a couple of consultancy system integration partners um, looking at how we can um, apply what we've got to different aspects of um, the industry and the, the way in which they work with their customers. We're working with a number of the um, core policy and claims administration platform providers to say, right then, once we've enabled decisions to be made, what's the best way of dropping that into the processes that those platforms uh, enable? You know, we're part of Guidewire's um, partnership um, program. Um, uh, so so there's, there's a lot going on in, in partners, Matthew. It's, it's tricky to call out all of them. I think the ones that I mentioned in the geo um, spatial platform space are key. Equally, we're more than happy to just provide our insights into customers who use the open source geospatial platform, like you know, Q QGIS is a well-known one of those, where quite sophisticated users within insurance companies have got their own way of looking at their portfolio. And what we can give them is just very rapidly much better data to consume the way that they choose to. So we're trying to be flexible through providing solutions with partners and also providing those insights straight into the tools of, uh, of our customer's choice. Well, and the great news is uh, for anybody that goes and downloads our reports or increasingly as we do more information online, we are actually looking to see who companies are partnering with. So 
if you haven't got it on the website, we may actually have got it there for people, obviously with your permission that we can share. So we can put a link to that. And then I just want to talk about the Lloyd's Lab because we are helping Lloyd's just now encourage companies to go on to the lab. We're a big fan of the lab. Um, we see a lot of great success, both for companies that have gone through as technology companies, but also actually importantly for Lloyd's insurers within Lloyd's who've been partnering with, with those. Uh, how, can you talk a little bit about what that experience has been like for our side being being in the lab? Sure. I mean, we we really benefited from um, exposure to real insight and experience through that process. I mean, it also opened up a number of um, new relationships for us that have persisted. You know, we got to know MIS, uh, Mackenzie uh, Intelligence Services, really well through that. And that's a relationship that turned into a partnership. Um, so, you know, very proud to be working with those guys. Lloyd's underwriters can get access to our kind of general flood reporting through the MIS platform. And, you know, where that creates, you know, a real appetite for, for you know, more uh, refined data, they can come to us and, uh, and get our high resolution flood extent and depth analysis as well. So going beyond situational awareness into the higher value Use cases in underwriting and claims. So, you know, back to the back to the lab. I mean, you know, it's such a great uh, process, and for a business like ours, it was it was great to take our capability and start to look at what it can do. You know, particularly in and around the, the Lloyd's environment. Um, yeah, so it's really beneficial to the team. Uh, opened up loads of relationships that we're progressing now. And so, for anybody who that goes away and someone says, "What would?" What were Stephen and Matthew talking about eyesight? What's the one thing, if nothing else, you want them to remember? We hope that it's clear that what customers who care about catastrophes and particularly that care about floods today uh, can get from us is very rapid, very accurate understanding of the extent and depth of water. And they don't need to worry too much about what to do with a SAR image particularly if they've had experiences in the past of not getting quite what they wanted from it. The capability now is about analysis and really accurate uh, measurement dropping into their chosen systems very rapidly. Stephen, I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything we haven't covered that we should be talking about? The one thing that I do want to just call out is um, our what we call persistent asset monitoring capability. So, you know, one of the things I've mentioned is the size of the satellite and our ability to pass over the same spots on Earth multiple times a day. You know, we think that actually for the insurance industry, the much more interesting use cases than um, just monitoring catastrophes will be in predicting uh, what's going to happen. So, you know, we have a capability that we call persistent ground track repeat. So our satellites pass over the same spot um, and it, you know, it only takes them an hour and a half to get around the planet and they can pass the same spot and we can take an image of exactly the same spot multiple times a day. Uh, and what that means is that we are able to detect very, very fine levels of change. And we've proven that we can use those to detect movement in um, buildings, uh, mil movement in um, the surface of the earth. We're, we're working on measuring changes and distortion in solar panels currently in oil pipelines and and what we want to be able to do is help risk engineers uh, and underwriters to monitor assets and see where small movement that might lead to greater movement or damage that causes a loss see where that's starting to happen and we think that you know we'll be able to monitor things that 
it hasn't been possible to monitor in the past or to monitor them and measure them, you know, more frequently and at lower cost uh, than in the past. So, you know, we think a lot of what we do around catastrophe is, you know, after the event, uh, what we are expecting to be able to do, and we are testing now with some customers, is that ability to monitor um, assets and see what might happen in the future so that action can be taken. Um, and if anybody out there has got assets that they would like to have monitored, we're positively looking for, you know, a more insurance company customers who've got assets or have customers with assets uh, to use in our R&D program, uh, because we're learning every every time we take on a new uh, new area of observation, we learn from it. And, um, you know, we like to do that collaboratively. Well, that's a, that's a great, I don't want to call it challenge because that's the wrong word, but a great uh, offer, I'd say, Stephen, is if you've got an asset that you want to get monitored, talk to Stephen and iSight and see what they can do. Uh, and then finally, just before I, I let you go, you personally have been a big supporter of Instat. We've seen you at our events and now with iSight, uh, we're delighted to be doing some more with you and your colleagues. We're looking at doing a breakfast workshop coming up soon to give people a chance to actually see some of this in action. But a couple of words would be great about you know what it is about what we're doing at Instec that you know, keeps you and your colleagues still involved with us would be uh, much appreciated. As you mentioned, I've been enjoying participating in um, your events and keeping up with your publications and podcasts for a while. And I think what what you guys together have built is a really strong community of people and businesses with deep interests and commitment to applying technology in this industry. Uh, and I think the power of that combination of content and relationship and events just means you know you can't go to one of your events without walking away with a few new connections and those connections are typically made by people who knew a bit about you and a bit about another organization or individual and have taken it upon themselves to put you together with them and it, it it's you know it's viral <laughs> in a nice way um because it, you know i think everybody feels that it works for them and I think that they feel like part of the reason that it works is something they can contribute to by making introductions. So, I, you know, it's great to be able to catch up on the content when you're not able to attend in person, uh, you know, through things like this podcast and just topping up on knowledge of ISI. And so I think it's a community. Uh, it's got to a community stage now, as well as, um, you know, content and the ability to kind of hear uh, about what's going on. I think the ability to get in amongst it and make your own connections is really powerful. Well, no, thank you for your support. And uh, just yeah, for anybody who is in London or coming into London, we always welcome people from outside of the UK. And if you're outside of the UK, we might even give you a free pass to come along. But uh, Stephen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I, each time I talk to anybody at ISI, I learn a whole host more. And I'm sure that will continue to be the case for many years to come. So I uh, look forward to seeing you very soon, given the frequency of what we're doing now. And uh, yeah, if uh, we do a follow-up at some point, it'd be great to catch up on how many satellites are going to have this time next year. I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. I'll, I'll try and make sure that we've launched a few more before we next speak, uh, Matthew, just to make sure the number keeps going up. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Fantastic. Thank you. Goodbye. One of the pleasures of having had close to 200 guests on the podcast is a chance to catch up with our members as they continue to build out their propositions. Now, we're taking a break over July and August for our evening events in Instec, but we've still got lots of great stories to share with you with the podcast and our interviews. And if you're wondering why you're missing out and want to discuss membership, then email me, matthew at instec.co, or any of us, hello at instec.co. <laughs>